0: Hey, 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 welcome to the Ask LLC podcast. My name is Harrison Gilming. I am the Worship Arts Director here at Lake Forest Church in Huntersville.
1: And I'm Mike Moses, um, lead pastor, Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. <laughs>
0: did you forget for a yeah, second? <laughs> I,
1: I did for just a moment. Um, uh, man, your Miami Hurricanes men's and women's teams tearing it up over uh higher seeds so happy and
0: and it there there's, there's got to be almost no chance of there being a this exact person listening but in a in a funny twist both the men's and women's team in consecutive days eliminated indiana specifically The men and women's Indiana teams got knocked out by Miami. Very happy.
1: I did know that. Um, But everyone else is like, please move on uh, in the podcast. Yes. Hey, today we're going to talk a little bit about why um, uh, uh, one aspect that I... When I found myself in the the Presbyterian stream of Christianity, it was only later that I could name, oh, this is one of the reasons why the Lord drew me to this specific stream of Christianity, and I highly prize it uh, for myself and our church, Hmm. Uh, and we'll talk about a few examples of that, but first, Harrison, you just made an observation to me about uh, a, a trend in our worship services.
0: Yeah, it's been um well, we've remarked on here before just to s- set a little context. It's been really neat to see <clears throat> over Mike, how long has it been since it's felt in the room again more normal? Since our kind of we made we turned this corner from feeling like, "Oh, we're mm-hmm. we're in the COVID days, we're doing what we got to do, we're trying to do it all well." And we've kind of turned some corners with culture and things have been feeling more normal for a handful of months. I don't know how long it's. But as part of that, um, number one, uh, you've noticed on Sundays, listeners of this podcast, that uh, people are just starting to come back to church. The room is filling up again, starting to feel normal. We were just talking about um, people just engaging with us uh, in worship and in community. And, And one of the cool things that we've noticed is uh, from where Mike and I, our perspective on the stage, looking out to each of our right-hand sides on the first couple rows mm-hmm. on that half of the room, uh, th- this, I'm not sure whose idea this was. I want to say it might have been Jake Thompson when it he was an intern. A, an
1: intern yeah. uh, between his, uh, his summer before freshman year in college. That's
0: right. So Jake... Uh, and the remix interns devised, hey, wouldn't it be cool if. Just last summer. Yeah. Wouldn't it be cool if we got all the remix uh, high schoolers or even some middle schoolers to sit together uh, in church? Because remix is, is on Sunday nights. So they're all just there hanging around with their families. And uh, so little by little, person by person, over mm-hmm. the last, you know, eight months or whatever it's been. Um, this little section down to the to the right of of Mike and I mm-hmm. just to keeps, all of your left yeah it in just the front. it just keeps growing more remix kids are showing up and it's like this little just just pocket of these remix students just come ready they just come ready to worship ready to hear hear it's not like uh, it's not like your student section where you know they're making paper footballs and flicking them around and
1: mine when i was in high school i was very active in my high school youth group and i i loved the lord i, I was mentored by my youth pastor we sat in the back right from from the worshipers perspective and we were making paper footballs yeah. what a great memory <laughs> and i was trying to hold surreptitiously hold my little girlfriend's hand with my arms crossed and her arms crossed mm-hmm. and stuff like that.
0: Very sneaky. Mm-hmm. Um, our remix kids. Nobody uh, could tell. <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally not. Um, it's just a, an encouragement to us every week. And I think, and I think Mike uh, agrees as we were just talking about it, like he said right before, it's like a, just, just applause to you remix students who hang down there because you're really setting a tone in the room of just people Coming in for a reason, and that reason is to worship and, and to have an experience with God. And they're like they're leading us yes. from down there. Yes. It's just yes. super cool to see.
1: And it's so for you know for a long time we've just taken it for granted that the nine thirty service is, has generally been more expressive and leaned in, mm-hmm. and smiling. Um, th- there's a higher percentage of guests who come in and out at the eleven, uh, generally, and that's true in most churches, but. This has um, equalized, I would say our remixers have equalized the energy in the room. They have. Uh, and the expressiveness. And that's a spillover to everyone. One of our el- We had an elder meeting last night. I got home pretty late. Um, and one of our elders was just going on and on about the sense of the Holy Spirit in this Sunday, last Sunday's 11.05 a.m. service. Hmm. And I, I mean, I was just there. Uh, and I sit so far in the corner on the front row. At least this Sunday I did. That I'm not sure that I was really aware of that. And and the other elders' heads were nodding, and that that was joyful for me.
0: It is really cool. Well, um, <clears throat> let me let me transition us this, this way, Mike, by asking you a question because you mentioned uh, to start this. We're going to talk about some different angles of this, and I'm excited to hear all of it. But as a starter question, yes. Um, this this may be too broad to answer quickly, but if if you could give me the, the just dumbed down for Harrison version <laughs> okay. answer to this question, yeah. you said uh, that you've been uh, excited exploring what this means throughout your career that you've landed in the uh, Presbyterian stream of Christianity. Uh, what what are some of the things there are there there are so many different. Families of Christianity out mm-hmm. there and, and
1: and we respect them all
0: yes what what defines to you uh, some of the marker things of of being a part of the Presbyterian branch of the Christian faith
1: uh, Well thank you um, not attempting to be exhaustive or exhausting or technical uh, first and foremost it's an emphasis, in our understanding of who God is through God's Word on God's sovereignty. Um, While acknowledging we are not uh, what might be known as super-crazy Calvinists, um, the Bible clearly shows divine sovereignty. There's a God who has determined the end from the beginning. It's Mm -hmm. a literal quote from the Bible. You cannot—either you you say, I don't— value parts of the Bible. I don't value Ephesians 1 that talks about pre- God's predestination of his elect and foreknowledge. Either So when Baptists say, why do you believe in predestination? I'm like, it's in the Bible. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the question, though, is how you interpret those. Mm-hmm. And the Bible's also very clear. God is sovereign and will have what God will have. And humans have responsibility for uh, the Uh, freedom that we have in decision-making, particularly as it relates to um, God. And so over and over we're told, you know, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, and then the the next time around we're told God hardened Pharaoh's heart. That passage in the Exodus is is the most instructive for me, Hmm. that these are two truths in Scripture, human freedom and responsibility that comes from that, and divine sovereignty, and the Presbyterian family of churches, each in their own way, in my version of it is yeah, and um God is God, and so, in the end the so- somehow the sovereignty of God and the freedom of man are two um, rails on a railroad track that, in this life are parallel and never meet, but in the kingdom of God somehow they actually remain parallel <laughs> while and, and while also meeting but we hmm. would not equate uh, I, I think there are many streams in Christianity that overdo the freedom and agency of the human person yeah. at the, the expense of the sovereignty of God so so there's an emphasis that that in the end <laughs> the sovereignty of God uh, reigns and rules overall. That's one uh, uh, element. Um, a second element is let's see, what would I say? Oh, I, I will argue with anyone uh, um, more vehemently about the strength of the biblical basis of the way uh, we organize the church around elder leadership, plurality of elder and pastoral, pastor leadership rather than singularity of either preacher leadership in some models or bishop or cardinal or pope leadership in other models, um, this plurality of eldership, uh, I think, is super clear throughout the New Testament hmm. and serves us very well. And so, again, I, I, I don't need to—I actually don't spend time arguing with pa- friend, pastor yeah. friends <laughs> about that. It's a non-essential of the faith. Um, the uh, emphasis on the doctrines of grace— Uh, arising out of the Reformation, I believe the Presbyterian Church has preserved that, that that essential kernel of uh, revolution that needed to happen in the church and renewal in the 16th and 15th centuries. Uh, I believe the Presbyterian Church has better than most many streams of Christianity preserved the doctrines of grace, grace alone, faith alone, Mm -hmm. (laughs) scripture alone, um, uh, at the heart of the faith, uh, and it tutors me to to keep the doctrine doctrines of grace central to our understanding of salvation and sanctification and our mm. walk with christ every day um, i 'll mention one other emphasis uh, which then then we might spend a little time on and uh, so the calling someone a pastor in our church is a little different than in an independent church mm. or a uh, some other denominations um, we use the title pastor very carefully, uh, and it's at the end of a, a, a fairly lengthy educational yeah. uh, study, practice, training, mentoring process. And then you, are, you pass ordination exams um, on s- several areas of knowledge and how your ability to interpret the scriptures in the original languages of mm. Greek and Hebrew um, to understand them in, from their own thought world. And so then you're ordained as a pastor or a reverend. And that represents the value of uh, a well educated clergy. Hmm. And now that can be taken um, as elitist or, um, uh, you know, highfalutin or whatever other adjectives. Uh, However, in the history of Christianity, this has been considered very. This is one reason why Christianity. Uh, is the primary agent for bringing literacy to the world Hmm. because we believe God speaks to us through the written word and and we have a motivation for people to be literate so they can approach it for themselves. That's the principle of the priesthood of all believers, reading the Bible according to their own conscience under the Holy Spirit. But we believe the church should be led by well-informed clergy who know the history of... Uh, the church who you know the history of theology would have been past interpretations uh, of this part of Scripture that have been ruled faithful, or, oh, that was a bad path because then that eventually led to a complete heresy or people getting hurt. So there are lots of reasons that you all would understand. I don't need to, to go further. But I love the value of a well-educated clergy. Mm-hmm. Um, we are grappling with, however, that the weakness of that has led to In America, because of the um, the historical dynamics of money and class and oppression, particularly of, um, uh, yeah, and oppression. So, impover the more impoverished populations, ethnicities, uh, and uh, you know, if there's such a thing as class in America have tended to not be even be able to be Presbyterian leaders. And so our denomination is in the forefront with others of finding ways to, Mm -hmm. to, for those to whom a traditional seminary education is not accessible financially or life situation-wise, how can we make that more accessible so that we are able to plant more churches that serve Popu- populations that are america mm-hmm. <laughs> not just anglo well off um our church the family of churches is is visibly a part of that movement in fact um yeah so uh, the, the okay that was a long answer no
0: no that was awesome and i i think you're you're touching on something i think the thing that knocks it back from feeling uh this is this is episode one twenty one. This is the first appearance in our podcast of so the word highfalutin, which I I appreciate. Okay. It's very good. The thing that keeps it from being that is that there is nothing. Um, there's nothing magical or superior about the work, Mike. I think that you, um, other pastors who have taken time uh, to study and become really experts on the subject matter of the bible the languages of the bible uh theology church history it's just that uh the the benefit of a church being able to have full-time pastors is that they are able to do that work on the behalf of the people so that uh the people can be uh, insurance agents and own restaurants and drive trucks and all the things. Which is that,
1: God's will for almost every Christian.
0: Exactly, people. all the work that we do that we're called to and to be Christ followers in the middle of that work, um, but we are Christ followers who are studying uh, a scripture that's in two languages that we don't even use originally, and um, a lot of the a lot of the work that full time pastors around the world are able to do is to make it their day-to-day work to mm. think about uh God's word, think about how to approach theology and, and structure of the church, all of these things. So there's there's nothing there's nothing super human about any of it. This is just the task that pastors are called to, yes. just like the, uh, the other jobs that we're called to, so they can invest the time into that to be able to shepherd God's people um, and obviously, Mike, you uh, you are a, a part of uh, Gordon Conwell Seminary and, and training church planning students. So you see all the time um, these kind of young, young guns of yeah. Yeah. the church kind of figuring out what they're called to and, and grappling with uh, their call to ministry and, and, and getting into the, the, the deep, Scholarship studies mm-hmm. of of uh, Christianity,
1: mm-hmm. and I enjoy my connection with the seminary. It it, it kind of continues that hunger and thirst uh, for me uh, of uh, wanting to continue to learn mm-hmm. and be a learner at every stage. Um, there's so much to learn about God's kingdom and this world, uh, and and I have my little part in it. When I was 24 years old, and I knew God confirmed. I was called to ministry for the rest of my life. I wanted to. I, I wrote a little mission statement um, to uh, love people um, into the kingdom of God by knowing Jesus, and to also love people to go farther in hmm. and know Jesus better. That that was sort of my broad uh, mission statement, and and that led me to go to seminary. It was like if I'm to seminary, if I'm going to teach the Bible the rest of my life, <laughs> I want the best tools possible. Um, and so that's why I did that. Um, these days, I really enjoy. And I don't. Some pastor friends of mine do their devotions still in Greek or Hebrew. Wow. And and when they're <clears throat> preaching, they prepare the passage. They start with it in Greek and Hebrew. I I don't. I have not maintained that level of skill with the and facility with the languages, nor. Do I judge that the best use of some hours of my time relative to leadership and pastoral responsibilities in addition to teaching? So one of the ways I try to keep my work balanced between shepherding people individually through counseling and care, leading the church with vision and Mm -hmm. and vigor, where's God taking us, uh, and how can we be healthy, and then just teaching God's Word, is I have tools that will—and I know which ones are i think are trustworthy according to orthodox theology and and i can judge uh uh and that came out a couple of ways this past sunday mm. uh that that were nice pulls for me just because I, I can grab the tools that are doing the work in the original languages and and get to it quickly because i understand the world view the the uh greek and first century uh jewish worldview, linguistically and culturally, conceptually, as well as the Hebraic, on a limited basis. Sure. <laughs> um, and so just a, a couple of ways that this plays out for me is, so all of our, our ordained pastors um, who are uh, Jeff and Andrew and myself at Lake Forest Huntersville— have a master's of divinity, which is a master's on a bit of steroids. It's it's a, it's a full-time three-year degree. Most people do it part-time, and it takes longer than that. Mm-hmm. And then they sat for ordination exams. Kami Howard, is, she became an important minister here at Lake Forest. I invited, it, did she have any interest in that? And she said, no, I'm called to ministry, but that's not exactly ever going to be a focus for me. So we we changed her title to minister in acknowledgement of th- that she's a pastoral yep. level called and gifted leader in our church, uh, but the title of pastor won't ever quite fit denominationally for her. Um, so that's a M. MDiv, and I teach one master's class a year in church planning. You all have heard me talk about that. Something that I don't mention often, is, I don't think, is uh, then I was called to go on, and after we planted the church... I felt led to enter a a doctoral program, doctor of ministry program, and I didn't do that wanting a a, a piece of paper that said Dr. Moses on it or a title. In fact, I came in through a side door in a leadership mentoring process that at the end under Leighton Ford, that's when I got to know him, that at the end of it had you could take further steps and turn it into a doctorate. So I didn't begin with a doctorate in mind. But as I was going through the process, I realized I'm going to read a ton of books. That's just what I do. It's uh, just who God's made me. Yep. What if I, the, the, the doctorate of ministry, could I could line up my reading in a singularly powerful direction and seek the Lord for, could my doctoral studies be something that bear fruit in my ministry life, the rest of my ministry, and potentially in our church? And that turned into being led to study the missionary leadership of St. Patrick which, um, honestly, uh, that's born different fruit in our life. Some of the ancient future uh, 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 things that you will stumble into at Lake Forest are, are, are some fruit of my study there. Um, in particular, th- my desire, and sometimes I'm good at this, sometimes I'm not, to keep us singularly focused on the importance of always having in mind one more person who's given up on church but not on God, and not slip into... An insular, insider Christian-only focused worshiping congregation, because we live in a post-Christian society, and Patrick's just drive to contextualize and make the gospel winsome to this totally pre-Christian culture—the the the ancient Irish Celts—continues to be a a north Mm -hmm. star for me. So it's an example of the the I could go on, but the the fruitfulness of of becoming Doctor Moses for me. Another thing that I do is I serve as an advisor to two or three doctoral students a year in the program at Gordon-Comwell, and I just enjoy the heck out of that, but I'm helping them find that lane as they're early in their years of their doctoral studies out of the same motivation similar to my motivation. How can they find this lane of their doctoral thesis, their research project, that will add new knowledge to the church— uh, that's part of the point of a doctorate, <clears throat> but that also will will powerfully um, take uh, the the trail and the story of what God's been doing in them already in a life of ministry, and and send them on a more even more powerful trajectory for their future that that has to do with a calling, a shared calling between them and a church or a mission agency. Hmm. Um, so uh, I'll mention uh, a couple of of. Uh, one of my most recent advisee who became a doctor last May, he graduated, was uh, is a uh, a man in his mid-60s who had recently retired from the Pentagon. Dang. He is a several-star general. I've, I, I've never gotten straight how many stars, and I didn't know that till after I knew him for a year. Wow, He did not lead with that. Yeah. He's a very humble, gentle man. <laughs> he retired from the <clears throat> Pentagon where he was the uh, the head of all military chaplains in all the United States uh, military services around the world. Hmm. And he had been elevated to that position after being the head of Southern Baptist chaplains for a number of years. <clears throat> a very accomplished, uh, well recognized man. And in his 60s, as he was retiring from that, while still, he still has a, a strong role in Southern Baptist uh, chaplaincy programs around the world. But being becoming semi-retired, <clears throat> he, he still wanted to learn and be of service to the church. And from his vantage point, his research project was he, he identified the abysmal uh, experience of most military chaplains who retire from military service in their 40s or 50s and come home to their local church, and their local church doesn't know what to do with them, <clears throat> does not properly value Mm. their ministry experience and see how it relates to ministry in the church and they fumble them Mm. and too large of a number of them of of returning military chaplains end up feeling unappreciated and uh unwanted in their churches that they return to and they therefore don't have vibrant ministry when they come stateside so Mm. Uh, he and I uh, the general and I designed a research project. No one had studied this before what factors could lead to more effective return in the United States so that number one, they remain effective in ministry when they retire from the military. Number two, the church benefits like it 's a win win mm. and so what we what we we designed a research project where he became mm. an expert to, a doctor should be a world leading expert on whatever they write about. The moment is published. Hmm. And then you can't keep up after that. with yeah. <laughs> State of the He became a leading expert of the exact same phenomena of missionaries retiring from the field and coming back home to their church. Similar dynamic to what I just described. But it's been well studied. And mission agencies have great reentry programs, and they coach churches and pastors on it. So he applied that research to military. You can see the relevancy there. Yeah. Uh, in a first ever study done, that was very broad, and his conclusions were fantastic. I learned from them, um, and I hope we're a better church now for returning missionaries or military chaplains. So that's just that's an example. Uh, another uh, the before that the doctoral student who became a doctor under my uh, mentoring or guidance um, was a pastor of a beautiful stone castle looking small Presbyterian church and a beautiful bucolic small town in Pennsylvania, hmm. well, an hour outside of Pittsburgh, and it's in the center of this little hamlet. And they were an older, graying church uh, that was in danger of dying. And he researched how to, uh, a specific method, I won't go into the details, but how could an, uh, a reemphasis on evangelism in the pulpit and in a mission project that engaged congregation members face-to-face with townsfolk who were unchurched, uh, could that lead to revitalization in a church? It was really great. Mm-hmm. I'm really hoping he publishes because his, find, his thesis and his findings are really important for the you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of churches in that circumstance in need of renewal and revitalization, and, mm. and what he found was very powerful. And I've been uh, attempting to help him, uh, hoping to help him find speaking platforms within our denomination. He he happens to be in our denomination.
0: It's so cool. I think the coolest part of everything that you just said to me <clears throat> that sticks out is just imagining across uh, across the world, across uh, America over the past. However many decades, the the challenge for uh, aspiring doctoral students um, to f- to find a little corner of something that they're passionate about that is, a, and finding a new angle or a way to think about it that no one has before, just the amount of creativity and revitalization that that has had to have brought to the church across the world is just like. The holy kind of spirit, staggering
1: the holy spirit does such a unique work in each and every church each and every minister and i just get to see a little a, a deep slice yeah. uh of these individuals and it just makes me love what god does in his church all the more and not and appreciate uh the small town stone tall steeple church and, and their attempt to be a witness uh, as well as in relation to what we do um Last thing I'll say about that, that the head of the uh, doctoral program at Gordon Conwell Seminary is Dr. David Curry, and I appreciate his leadership and that he is generous to invite me to to have my hand on these future doctors of the church. And he makes a distinction that there are doctors of the church, and they're the grand – they're the people who go get academic PhDs. They, they can't – that's so demanding. It's a, it's a higher level of doctorate educationally, a PhD in theology. They, they're not leading a church while they're getting a Ph.D. They go for four, five, six years. Mm. And then typically they teach in the seminary, in the academy. They're, they're a doctor of the church. And then he points to our doctoral students and says, oh, but God has doctors for the church. Um, you are called to be, and, and here's the, 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 uh, the mantra of our doctoral program at Gordon-Comwell, uh, passionate, oh, no. Oh, Doctor Curry would kill me. <laughs> passionate, reflective practitioners. There you go. Uh, passionate, reflective practitioners of pastoral ministry in our church, and that's a doctor for the church. Not every pastor should or could go get a doctorate for lots of reasons. It's not everybody's calling, but it. But for those who become a doctor for their church and any other churches they serve, it's it's a it's it's a simply unique way of being a passionate and reflective practitioner. It would have been the equivalent of Jonah getting on a boat in the opposite direction of God's calling if I had chosen to go get a Ph.D. and uh, hunker down in a library in Oxford, England for six years yeah. and just teach and not not be vibrantly leading a congregation uh, of real, live people. Um, so if I ever do that, You'll know that I've hit my Jonah moment, Uh, but I I have resisted opportunities to do that in the last number of years and clarified any and all ambition I ever have in ministry fits underneath the rubric of being a parish pastor of Lake Forest Church Huntersville Hmm. and a co-lead pastor of the Lake Forest family of churches. So I I love the, the plow that the Lord has put my hand on.
0: Well, it's, it's cool seeing, uh, and hearing stories of people that are taking, uh, seriously what God asks us to do by, uh, loving the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength Mm -hmm. and not, uh, not neglecting that piece of things and knowing that there, there is such, uh, richness of study to be done of, uh, the word of God and the way that he has, uh. The way that he has built his church, the ways that we can properly think think about him in our theology, there is a, a ton there for us to engage him with our minds. So it's it's just cool hearing stories about that.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, there's a small group you you guys can start praying with us about this. There's a small handful of people in the um, Mount Holly area who are inviting us to consider starting a Lake Forest church there, and their primary well, there's several there, they're, but Two of their primary reasons, when when I and our church planning elder, Jack Cathy, had our first meal with them last year, we were like, well, why? Or, you know, one of them had been a part of us and then moved there. Another one has moved in from another state to Mount Holly, but knows of us through through friends and such, and I worshiped online. We were like, well, why? I mean, there's there's some great churches here. I'm friends with some of the pastors. Um, emphasis on grace and a school scholarship layer underneath the teaching of God's word are two things they are hungry and Mm. thirsty for. Um, And I was like, oh, you know, those are things that we aspire to. So, hey, friends, uh, thank you for uh, allowing me to geek out just a little bit and go deep down the rabbit hole of one of our distinctives of the Presbyterian stream of Christianity, which is the value of a well-educated and informed clergy. That should not ever trump the value of a godly clergy yep. <laughs> who are seeking Christ fervently daily and dying to self and aspiring to live a, a holy life, and but in
0: addition to yep. we, uh We will catch you guys next time. Thanks for sitting down with us again. Have a good one.